Anyways, it's good to be here this morning. Amen. It's great to see everyone. So we trust that the Lord will bless this message this morning and use my words for his glory and honor. And the Lord certainly is good. This time I got the message finished and all typed up and everything. By quarter to ten last night. Hey, hey, hey. Fifteen Time's minutes there. early. They gave me fifteen minute break, so I got an extra fifteen minutes sleep last night. He works me right along. He keeps me right to the very end. So it's just Amen. one of those things. So Amen. and it's all right. I enjoy it. And it's good. And it's thank you. Thank yes, you. Going. So so this morning we're going to continue our five part series in the Psalms. And we're on book four. And I'll be using mostly the King James Version this morning as we get going into it. Now book four begins with Psalm 90 and goes through Psalm 106. And this group of Psalms goes along with the book of Numbers, the book of wilderness wandering, of testing and failure. Now these Psalms in book four deal with God's wrath against sinful people in light of human frailty and weakness. And these psalms powerfully remind us that God is eternal and we are not. And these psalms tell us that God is holy and that we are not. And these psalms tell us that God rules over all of creation while we can hardly take care of ourselves. So this morning we're going to look at the introductory chapter of this fourth book, and that's chapter 90. And this psalm is the oldest of the 150 psalms. Its author is Moses and was written by the year 1440 B.C. And this psalm is entitled, A Prayer of Moses, the Man of God. Now, man of God is a term used over 78 times in the... No, over 70 times... And I looked up this 78 times in the Old Testament, always referring to one who spoke for God. Moses, the man of God. Moses, the prophet. And that's Deuteronomy 18, verses 15 to 22. Moses and God were on good speaking terms. In Numbers chapter 12, verses 7 and 8, God said of Moses, my servant Moses, he is faithful in all my house. I speak with him face to face. And Numbers 12 verse 3 says, Now the man Moses was very humble, more than all men who were on the face of the earth. Psalm 90 is the only song of Moses in the Psalms, but there are two other songs of his in the Pentateuch the first five books of the Bible. And this first one is recorded in Exodus 15, verses 1 to 15. It's a song of triumph following the crossing of the Red Sea. And the second one is recorded in Deuteronomy, chapters 32 and 33. And it is a song of exhortation for the tribes of Israel to keep the law after entering Canaan. So before we begin this morning, let me remind you a little bit about Moses. Now Moses had a unique perspective to offer on life when he wrote this poem, this prayer. His first 40 years was spent as a prince in Egypt. 
He killed a man and had to run away to live in the desert area of Midian, tending sheep for the next 40 years. And then the last chapter of his life, 40 years, leading the Israelite nation in the desert. Moses attended lots of funerals in those last 40 years. And then in Numbers chapter 20, it struck close to home. His sister Miriam died, and Moses buried her. And also in Numbers chapter 20, verses 8 to 11, is the incident where Moses struck the rock that God had provided for water in anger, instead of speaking to the rock as God had commanded him to. And God said, for that, you and Aaron will not enter the promised land. And just a short time after that, his brother Aaron died, and he buried him. So he is the only sibling left. Now most scholars believe Moses wrote this psalm after the events of Numbers chapter 20. <clears throat> he was 118 years old then. And he must have looked back at life and thought, where have the years gone? Egypt seems like yesterday, but it was a lifetime ago. And meeting God in the burning bush and the parting of the Red Sea. I've buried my loved ones and I'm tired. I have regrets about the mistakes I've made and the things I've done. And as time passes, I see more clearly that life is toil, frailty, brevity, and death. But instead of that driving him to take a gloomy view of circumstances, it drove him to the Lord. Psalm 90 is a prayer of a wise old man of God for his people and himself. And this psalm of prayer gives us a glimpse into some of the most valuable lessons Moses learned in life. So this morning we'll see what we can learn from him. As he contemplates life, Moses begins his prayer with a profession of faith in verses 1 and 2. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Lord is a Hebrew word celebrating God's majestic authority and acknowledging his sovereignty. He's celebrating God as my supreme master. Now remember, as he wrote this profession of faith, he was in the wilderness. He was leading the tribes of Israel as they were taking up their tents, moving from place to place with no settled dwelling place. And so he lifted his eyes toward heaven and said, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Recalling their history, he saw that God had always been home to Israel, generation after generation. He alone had been their house, their place of comfort, their security. Now the Apostle Paul professed the same faith in Colossians 1 verses 15 to 18 
And in chapter 3, verse 3, he said, Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. <clears throat> and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. And then in chapter 3, verse 3, For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. It is Jesus Christ with whom we have to deal. As we contemplate life, this is the profession of faith which was, with which we must begin. We begin with God in Jesus Christ and draw conclusions about our life. Now because of his profession of faith, Moses could proceed to an acknowledgement of facts. And first he acknowledges, in verse 3, the frailty of life. <clears throat> you, God, turn people to destruction, back to dust, saying, Return, O children of men, that is, return to dust, you mortals. And Moses says that all people will return to dust. Your body that you care so much about, that you washed and clothed so carefully this morning, just looking. <laughs> that you examined in the mirror as you brushed your hair. One day it will decay. It will return to dust. And we are reminded of our mortality every time we stand at a graveside and hear the minister say, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. <clears throat> a little girl went to the funeral of her grandmother and the minister said we come from dust and to dust we shall return we must return and they went to when they went to the cemetery she heard the minister say ashes to ashes dust to dust and later that week she was looking for something under her bed and she saw dust balls on the floor and she ran to her mother saying mom Come quick, someone's under my bed, and I don't know if they're coming or going. <laughs> little humor doesn't hurt. After such a grave subject, it helps us to temporarily forget our frailty, doesn't it? A little humor doesn't hurt. It's good. You got it, Darius. She didn't know they're coming or going. <laughs> <coughs> And then Moses wrote about the brevity of life in verses 4 to 6. In verse 4, the stark contrast between the Lord and his creatures comes into view. <clears throat> For a thousand years in your sight, God, are like yesterday when it is past, or like a watch in the night. <clears throat> God is not confined to time. He supersedes time. A thousand years to God is like yesterday to us like a night which has passed when we awake in the morning. And a watch in the night is four hours, by the way. 
for ours. And Moses continues in verses 5 and 6, You carry them away like a flood. They are like a dream. In the morning they are like grass which grows up. In the morning it flourishes and grows up. In the evening it is cut down and withers. Moses reminds us that we will be washed away by the flood of time. We are bound to time and time passes. Our lives are like dreams which end in the morn each morning when we awake. We are like the tender shoot of a plant which springs up with the dawn and then quickly is scorched by the afternoon heat of the sun. We have been put in our place. We are mere creatures. We are not here forever. We have an expiration date. And when that time comes, there is nothing you can do to prolong it. One day, we will be cut down. One day, we will wither away. The Bible says in Hebrews 9, verse 27, it's appointed unto man once to die, and then the judgment. <clears throat> the old gospel song says, life's sinking sun is sinking low. A few more days, and I must go. It is because of human sin that our days are numbered, <clears throat> and we must give an account to our Creator on the day of judgment. We are not only finite, we are guilty. Our lives are limited by the swiftness of time. Now isn't it true that the older we get, the more we wonder where time has gone? Then in verse 7, Moses got a lot more personal as he considered his own frailty. For we have been consumed by your anger, God, and by your wrath we are terrified. No one wants to think about the wrath of God, much less face it. But Moses reminds us in this verse that God is angry with us and that it is God's holy wrath which terrifies us. Our sinful condition is made even worse by the fact that there is nowhere to hide. God knows everything about us. And we read in verse 8, You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your countenance. All sin is in clear view to the face of God. His light searches our hearts and souls and reads us like a book. It is the knowledge of this fact which weighs so heavily upon us that Moses can say in verse 9, For all our days have passed away in your wrath, God. We finish our years like a sigh. There is no more troubling description of the frailty and brevity of life than that found here in this verse. The days pass, God's anger against us remains. <clears throat> and we come to the end of our lives with no possibility of escape if left on our own without the redeeming work of Jesus Christ. And praise God, believers do not and will not feel the wrath of God. 
God provided a way for us to live forever. Jesus is the way. When a believer dies, it is like stepping out of one room and going to a beautiful room that has been waiting for us. And Jesus is the door that we enter by. The brevity of life is something we all feel at times. At times, it overwhelms us. And Moses captures this sense of brevity in verse 10. The days of our lives are threescore and ten, that is seventy years. And if by reason of strength, they are fourscore, eighty years. Yet their boast is only labor and sorrow. For soon it is cut off, and we fly away. Moses <clears throat> did not say 70 years is either a promise or a limit, but as a poetic estimate of a lifespan. The emphasis is on the brevity of life. And Moses is saying even if one should pass the norm of 70 years or 80 years or 100 years as some do today, even that is very short when measured against all of eternity. And so for a Christian to think often and soberly about the brevity of life is a way to be driven where? To the arms of Jesus. And I like the part that says, we fly away. To be absent from our bodies is to be present with the Lord. And what a wonderful home we have. This world is not our home. We are just passing through. And I should have said Christians there, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And that's something to be happy about, right? Amen. Man. In verse 11, Moses says, Who knows the power of your anger, God? For as the fear of you, so is your worth. <clears throat> Moses had experienced a sufficient measure of God's anger. He had seen the ten plagues God sent to Egypt. Water turned to blood, the plague of frogs, lice, flies, severe pestilence on their animals, boils, hail, locusts, darkness and death on the firstborn, both men and beasts. He had also seen the wrath of God on his own people. In Numbers chapter 16, for example, Korah led a rebellion of 250 leaders against Moses. And God poured out his wrath on the rebellious people. And here's part of the story, reading from the New Living Translation, beginning in verse 32 of chapter 16 of Numbers. The earth opened up and swallowed the men, along with their households, and the followers who were standing with them, and everything they owned. So they went down alive into the grave, along with their belongings. The earth closed over them, and they all vanished. All of the people of Israel fled as they heard their screams, fearing that the earth would swallow them too. And then fire blazed forth from the Lord and burned up the 250 men who were offering incense. But the very next moment, the whole community began muttering against Moses and Aaron, saying, you too have killed the Lord's people. That's in verse 41. 
And as the people gathered to protest to Moses and Aaron, they turned toward the tabernacle and saw that the cloud had covered it, and the glorious presence of the Lord appeared. And Moses and Aaron came and stood at the entrance of the tabernacle. And the Lord said to Moses, Get away from these people so that I can instantly destroy them. But Moses and Aaron fell face down on the ground. And Moses said to Aaron, Quick, take an incense burner and place burning coals on it from the altar. Lay incense on it and carry it quickly among the people to make atonement for them. The Lord's anger, the Lord's anger is blazing among them. The plague has already begun. Aaron did as Moses told him and ran out among the people. The plague indeed had already begun, but Aaron burned the incense and made atonement for them. He stood between the living and the dead until the plague was stopped. But 14,700 people died in that plague, in addition to those who had died in the incident involving Korah. God put these stories in his word so that we would have a healthy fear of the Lord. And we read in Psalm 111, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so we need to magnify our reverence for the Lord. We need wisdom. And so Moses prays in verse 12, <clears throat> teach us. So teach us to number our days, to be aware of the limitations of life, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And what is a heart of wisdom? Well, it's a realistic outlook on life. It is facing life as the way it is, and fully recognizing, and fully, that doesn't sound right, well, recognize is okay. Reckoning is a better word. And fully recognize, reckoning our relationships to God. Moses asked God to teach us to count our days. Not years, but days, with an exclamation mark. He was aware of the frailty, I was going to say mankind, but I'm up to date now, humankind and the brevity of life, and he wanted us to make every day count for, for God and good. No one of us has an unlimited number of days to seek those hmm, those who seek to be wise I can't even make up my own typing. <laughs> Those who seek to be wise will pray for understanding so that we learn the number of our days and make them count. That's what I wanted to say. We should treasure every moment that we have. That's another exclamation mark because we don't know how many days are given to us. Yesterday is history. Today, tomorrow is a mystery. Today is a gift. That's why they call it the present. God's people should learn to seek a heart of wisdom. 
so that we can see beyond this life and begin to grasp the greatness of the Lord as well as the wonders of the next life where the Lord God is our dwelling place. Indeed, the person who seeks such wisdom will certainly find it. In James 1, verses 5 to 7, we read, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But, quotation mark, but, let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that person suppose that he or she will receive anything from the Lord. You can't doubt what you pray for. Right? Just saying if you're still awake. <laughs> okay, well, I'm, I'm sweating. If I take my jacket off, I'll freeze. So, anyway, it's just the way it goes. But like I said last time, I get this way, and that's how I get. It's God speaking to me. Amen. You're very Beautiful. Yeah, let's just pause for a moment just to take it all in. Verses 13 to 17 is a declaration of what a heart of wisdom will bring us to. It is the declaration of God's love for us. In verse 13, Moses asked the Lord for compassion. Return, O Lord, how long? And have compassion, that is, have pity on your servants. So let's put this for verse another way. Return, O Lord, enter my heart and have pity on me, your servant. That cry for a personal relationship is the key to the results that follow. Supposing now you have come to a relationship with God, you know him personally, he has returned to your spirit where he was intended to dwell. But what has really happened is that you have returned. From our human point of view, we think that God has come to us. We cry out for him to come to us. When all the time he is saying to us, come to me. As James 4 verse 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Now supposing this has happened in your life, what can you expect? You can expect to know a satisfying love. Verse 14, Oh, satisfy us early with your mercy, your love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days in which you have afflicted us and the years in which we have seen evil. And in verse 16, Moses asked to see the hand of the Lord at work. Let your work appear to your servants. Moses did see the Lord work in amazing ways. And we need to remember that God has not changed. He's the same yesterday, today, 
and forever. And Moses also prayed in verse 16 that our children would get to see the glory of God. Let your work appear to your servants and your glory to their children. Christian parents' greatest prayer is for their children to see the glory of God by faith in Jesus Christ in this world and face to face in heaven. That's our prayer as parents, Christian parents. In verse 17, Moses prayed for God's beauty to be on his followers. Let the beauty of the Lord our God be on us, be upon us. Inner beauty that can be seen from the outside by the way we live our lives. And he says, and establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Ecclesiastes comments in chapter 3, verse 22. Now I'm going to read that from the NIV. Ecclesiastes 3, 22. So I saw that there was nothing better for a man than to enjoy his work, because that is his lot. For who can bring him to see what is after him? This verse means that a man better get all that he can and then enjoy what he has gathered, for that is his share of the world's goods, things. And as life is short, it is best to spend it as pleasantly as possible. That's what that verse is saying. In contrast, in Moses' prayer, in verse 17, reading from the NIV, says, May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us, establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Each of us chooses one or the other. Ecclesiastes 3, or this one, Moses' prayer. We either leave memories, or we leave a legacy. Memories or a legacy. God has implanted the mind of Christ in those who have accepted his Son as Lord and Savior. The Spirit of God has taken up residence in us. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 12. In some mysterious way, we now have a capacity for divine wisdom that no natural experience could ever provide. <clears throat> Having the mind of Christ enables us to see life increasingly from God's <clears throat> perspective so we can leave a God-blessed legacy if we are conscientious about what we plan and do. We can leave a legacy by choosing to do all we do to the glory of God. <clears throat> In closing, we, what's ultimately important is not how long you live and how well you live, and how well you live is not a matter of fame and fortune, but a deep and abiding relationship with God. 
is to wake up in the morning with a prayer on your lips. Thank you, Lord, for a good night's rest. I thank him for a good night's rest last night. 15 extra minutes. <laughs> it's to look for signs of God's presence throughout the day in the beauty of nature and in the faces of those you meet. That reminds me of you, Nancy, when you were visiting the other day. And she wrote a wonderful... You have to share that sometime. Very nice. The beauty of nature. And the faces those of those you meet. It's to encounter trials and tribulations, asking God to show the way. It's to share others' pain and pray for them. Lord, have mercy. It's to sing God's praise when things go your way. And it's to sing God's praise when things don't go your way. Trusting that if you don't get what you ask for, God has a better plan, that all things work together for good for those who love the Lord. It's to rejoice in the Lord always and to pray without ceasing. It's to come to the end of the day taking inventory of everything that's happened and turning it over to God as an offering of your faithfulness and service. <clears throat> is to walk in the footsteps of Jesus, to follow the leading of his spirit, to feel his presence within you and about you, to be empowered by his grace and love. It begins as you acknowledge your need of him and trust him to be the Lord and savior of your life. It grows as you become more aware of the sacrifice he made to redeem you from your sinful nature and to reconcile you to himself. It blossoms as you awaken to the fact that the riches of this world pale by comparison to knowing the Lord God Almighty as your closest companion and friend. So make the Lord your dwelling place and your life will be complete. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the man Moses, your servant. And it's good to know, Lord, that, or maybe not good, but to know that he made mistakes, that he was sorry for them, that he is no different than we are in a lot of ways. But all his mistakes and things didn't draw him away from you. It drew him closer to you. He raced, reached to the arms of your arms, reached out to you. We pray, Lord, that in our times of troubles and sorrows and even in, in our good times, that we will draw closer to you and realize that everything we have and all that we do and say and is from, comes from you. That our end can be at any moment, any time. We don't know. Life is frail, as we learned here. Life is short. We don't know what our next breath may take. Be here today and gone tomorrow. But for Christians, for us as believers, Lord, to be absent from our body is to be present with you. And that's a wonderful thing. And I had asked, Lord, that you would help us to live with eternity in view, knowing you, 
and knowing what lies ahead for us so that whatever difficulties we face in this world, whatever befalls us, that we can still have a presence of joy in our hearts, knowing that all things work together for the good for those who love you. I just pray this in your wonderful name this morning, Lord.